You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, a podcast by writers with day jobs, with your hosts, Dan Lipman and Kelly Daniels. All right, we're recording now, folks, as you can tell by my AM radio voice that Dan taught me about. Um, today we have a very, I'm Kelly Daniels, by the way, um, you're listening to Personal Rejection Letter. I'm Dan Libman. And today we have a very special guest, Mark uh, Pietrakowski, is that how you pronounce your last name? That was very good. All right. And how do you pronounce the first name? Is it Mark? Yes. <laughs> okay. So what do you do, man? Um, I I know Mark. I knew you. I guess I yes. still know you from Atlanta like 15 years ago or so. That's true. And um, we haven't spoken in quite a long time. Um, but I know that you've been publishing books and that you started a small press and that you're on Facebook sometimes uh, just making a being a presence. And um, so we decided to say... See what you're up to these days. I think I think you just said it all, so I guess I think we're done. All right, that this is the most efficient. <laughs> well, let me ask: How did you guys know each other? How did you first meet in grad school? Yes, actually, I, I still i I still remember you were one of the uh, you were a year ahead of me in the MFA program, I believe, or something. Yeah, you'd been there before I had, and. Uh, you were one of the uh, grad students they had to orientation for uh, the neophytes who were stepping in. Yeah. And, and I, I still remember that you said, uh, you said at one point, you referred to yourself as a writer, and then you stopped and looked out the window and said, well, I don't know if I'm arrogant enough to say that, and then went on. Wow. Oh, <laughs> that's beautiful. I don't, I wouldn't call it beautiful. It's embarrassing, but uh, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I remember you asked me about that later. You said something like, what were you talking about? And I was like, I don't know. Just whatever. Well, the only other thing that was memorable about the orientation, I think. Was that. <laughs> well, it shows a reverence you have to the profession and you're, you're concerned that you're going to live up to your, uh, the models of your heroes. Sure. I think it is beautiful. I was plenty arrogant enough. I knew I was a writer. I well, didn't. there's probably an element of performance in there too. The 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 the, 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 the look out the window might have over been do, overdoing it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what grad school's for is to sand off those edges. Yeah. Look out the window. Yeah. So, um, where do you live now? Uh, right now, I live in Lockport, New York, which is. Um, I, have either of you been there? No. Nope. No. No. It's it's the kind of place where. Um, you know, it's it's very near Buffalo, very near Niagara Falls, and you tell anyone you're from Lockport, and they immediately go, you know, oh, do you know Jane? You know, everybody thinks that you must. If you know somebody from Lockport, you also know them if they do, you know. And, and they're right, actually. It's a pretty small, <laughs> pretty incestual kind of town, which is why we're moving. Um, you and Jane, we're, move. we're moving to uh, into Buffalo. Ah, the big city, Buffalo. I've been to. Yeah, Buffalo is a good place. I like Buffalo. I like that I was living in Rock Island recently. You're in Rockport. And um, where you've been living, kind of? What's the rock? Rock Ford. Rock Ford. So, it's all uh, Rock River related. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I'm in Lockport with an L. Oh, Lockport. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. When oh. they were digging um, the Erie Canal, they got to a point where there was a huge uh, escarpment they had to go up. So they built five little locks so you could get up and down them um up this huge thing and then they uh they used the gravity of the water um that was displaced they they ran electricity from it it's the first place in the country to ever have a public high school it's got all these wow. historical things about it but it's been in decline probably since then since the 1830s what's the population um well there's 20,000 or so in the city, and then there's another 20,000 or so in the town, so you don't really need both, but mm -hmm. one's Republican and one's Democrat, and they won't, they won't just fuse. So. <laughs> it's nice that they live separate from each other. They do. They, they do. <laughs> well, it's funny. funny you're in the similar kind of world as, as uh, the personal rejection letter people here, and in that we don't live in Los Angeles or New York City, and yet we persist in writing stories and poems and stuff and 
acting as if uh, we matter. And uh, <laughs> someone's got to act like that. Yeah. So were you, Mark, were you a poet or, or, a, or a fiction writer? What was what was your interest in grad school? You know, I was in the poetry program because Georgia State wouldn't allow you to do both. Uh-huh. Um, I did ask about doing both, uh, but they said, no, you got to pick one. There were some, I don't know if you got this sense, Kelly, but there were some pretty, pretty strict lines between the two sides of the creative writing department. The, yeah. You know, oh, poetry yeah. Or fiction, there was not a lot of mixing. No, there um, weren't. And they didn't seem like the faculty hung out with each other at all. Um, yeah, that was a kind of a strange MFA looking back. At the time, I didn't know, have anything to compare it to. Right. Leon Stokesbury is still there. Is he? Yeah. Yep. I'm actually, I guess I'm glad to know that he's still alive. He yeah. Pretty bad health problems for a while. He still is. He's a, he's an eater of, you know, kind of a compulsive eater. I went to a dinner <laughs> and he ordered two entrees, you know, like just yeah. really not he beyond like decorum. This is a big fancy dinner for, with like 15 creative writing people of various stripes. And he just went ahead and ordered two separate um, entrees like the Ow. fish yeah. and the enchiladas or whatever. No, it's just like a, is he a, a big man? Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to do that. I'm jealous. Order two entrees. Absolutely. I have trouble choosing. I like sharing, like getting two, and like I'm going to eat part of yours and you eat part of mine. But you need a, a lot of people I know won't won't go with that. Right. I think I'd only want to do it when it was like a big conference like you like you were describing or at least i don't know a bunch of very fancy people standing around who would who would look askance at me as i shovel it all into my face yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's a good um so you're moving to buffalo home of uh, yeah, the buffalo wings it's well yeah yeah um uh, those are in fact everywhere um it's uh it's only about 45 minutes from where we are now but we're just have you sold your house we are we're in the process of selling it so we have a contingent offer on our house so we look for a house then we put a contingent offer in on that and then the first person has to sell their house and then this domino thing happened apparently and we all move on the same weekend that's how that's how the realtor described it to Ah. us but we'll see if that happens it makes sense so now you I, i don't want to jump ahead but you have a business you're bringing the business with you i assume Oh yeah. The business has a physical space or is it just kind of your house? Uh, well for tax purposes, (laughs) it actually has a physical space because, uh, you can charge a certain amount of your space as, uh, you don't rent it to yourself, but that's if you like, I write off my taxes, software that I buy or a computer that I'm going to use for the, for the publishing. So there is actually a space in my garage, um, slash carriage house thing that, is just devoted to uh, the publishing. Right. So, yeah, I'm actually said, curious. I know that you had published, yeah, two or three, four books already, so it wasn't, you know, you were already kind of in there um, working with small presses, and then you uh, made a decision to start your own press, and I remember you made an announcement about it, um, and uh, I remember it impressing me and I, and some of the, the highlights of it, but um, can you uh, remind me and, and our listeners what... What what moved you to go from just being a writer that lets other people publish you to like being the person behind it? Oh, there's. <laughs> I like the heavy sigh. That's a good, well, good way to start. It's a, it's it's a good but very complicated question. I'm yeah. not sure I'm going to capture what I said at the time. But oh no, just how about just now? Where where? Sure. You know where? How are uh, you feeling about? Well, no, I guess you have to go back in time. Otherwise, it doesn't yeah. make any sense to. Yeah. Um. um yeah, so I published a couple of books with other places, and I was doing, you know, I was sending out manuscripts, and I thought, what is the the amount of work I'm doing sending out manuscripts? Certainly, I'd rather do anything else. Uh, it's not fun sitting and doing that. Um, but I could spend that time writing, or I could spend that time doing a variety of things. So what's what do I want from, uh, I guess, my writing career, if you want to call it that? Uh and I realized that I didn't really want all that much, except to be able to make books and have people whose opinions I cared about read them. Um, and if somebody else who I didn't know read it, well, great. Um, and 
I also thought it might be, I suspected it might be a little more liberating in terms of the kind of stylistic choices I could make, um, you know, genres I could explore, all this kind of stuff. If I didn't necessarily have an editor telling me what to do, but if I was trying to write for publishing houses, does that make sense? Yeah. Like I, so I decided I didn't, I, I'd be able to do that. And in fact, has been the case. I mean, I created a couple of, uh, uh, pseudonym, so I write under different names if I want to write a different genre of poem. Or really? I have one author who I write science fiction under uh, that name. Interesting. I mean, I guess my ultimate goal was, uh, and totally unrealistic goal was, I would start a publishing house and then I would create like twenty authors and I would be all of them. <laughs> but that, was, that was way too daunting. So I just have a couple. And then as I started doing this, I started reading um, stuff by people who were also having trouble. Um, publishing and had the same kind of goals I had, which was not, you know, not, nothing particular. Nobody wanted to set the world on fire. We just wanted to uh, make books and give them to people we like and see what they thought. Um, so I started publishing other people's stuff and it's uh, also, well, it's waiting. There's a lot of crap to wade through, but it's also very, uh, it's a good way to get to see writers I wouldn't otherwise seek out. Because I don't know about you, but I don't have a great desire to sit down with a pile of, I don't know, the top 20 poetry magazines and to go through them and see who I like or what the trends are or any of this kind of stuff. So Yeah, I don't I don't really keep up. I just sort of some I don't even know how I figure out what I read, but um, right. it just seems to come to me. And there's a lot of misses and uh, false starts and uh, thinking, wow, this right. is terrible. Um, so. Do you get pleasure in actually like uh, creating the book itself, the look of the book, the covers, the the font and all that stuff? Yeah, and I'm starting to get better at that. I used to do desktop publishing uh, years ago when, there was, when Quark still existed. I did it um, yeah. for a bunch of different places. Actually, uh, I had no idea how to do it, and I saw an ad in the newspaper that said, if you know how to use all these software programs, apply here. So I just lied and said I did, uh, and then spent the night before basically – figuring out how to use Quark, and then the next three weeks, pretending I knew what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. But it isn't that hard. But yeah, actually putting the books together is pretty rewarding. Um, at the same time, I'm not making art objects, really. I'm not, uh, we don't publish hardcovers or anything. It's just to get literature out to people, really. So cheap is good. Cool. It's, uh, in the name of your press, we haven't even mentioned it, is Psees, um, how do you pronounce that? P.S. <laughs> I actually say Peaskies. There should be a dash in there, but I, I just left it because nobody knows how to pronounce it. Peaskies Porch. Yeah. That sounds cool. And how many uh, submissions do you get? Do you get inundated or do you try to kind of not advertise that much so you don't get uh, bombarded with uh, submissions? And I've only had to put out calls two or three times. Um, usually that's sufficient for a couple of months. Um, and then uh, we just published an anthology that had like, 50 different people in it. This guy, Catfish McDerris, who's a small press, kind of old school small press uh, guy, said, hey, let we want to do this anthology with me. And I said, sure, yeah, let's do it. And uh, published all these poets. And then all of a sudden, yeah, we got inundated. So after that came out, we had maybe 50 or 60 a month for about two months. Um, now it's packed out of the, it's usually, uh, 10, I would say 10 submissions a month, which is perfectly manageable because yeah. just three or four, you can just go, no, thank you. I, no, that's, that's and are these, when, when you, I'm sorry, when you say submission, is it, is it a poem or is it, are they sending you full manuscripts? Full manuscripts. Sometimes wow. I'll send queries. Sometimes I'll send full manuscripts. Um, sometimes they just won't read anything. I'll just send me one poem and I'll email them back and say, no, that's not right. <laughs> read the, read the guidelines. Yeah. Um, but generally, it's either a query or sometimes people will just send the full manuscript. And you you publish not just poetry, right? Do you do novels and stories, or? Sure, we got a, a couple novels um, by other people. A collection of short stories by a guy named Sam Cole is going to be coming out in a couple of weeks, um, and then a novel by this guy in Portugal, an Irish guy who lives in Portugal, which hmm. apparently is a thing. Um, <laughs> is that you? He's, no, no, that's neither of those okay. are me. Okay, <laughs> we don't know. And the main distribution is online, or you get them into the. You, you have a relationship with Barnes and Noble or something. I've heard that's quite yeah. daunting. 
Yeah, it's just Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And then um, I thought about trying to just sell them through our website. And it's really easy to set up an online store. It's really hard to get online distribution. So if I had, mm. you know, 20 orders in a day, which has only happened like twice, it would still be really hard to fulfill them all, type in all the addresses and send them back. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that, to do the distribution distribution through the website part of it. But right now it's just Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and I go to book shows and try to sell stuff. And mm-hmm. That's about it. Do you find it fun? I mean, is it, um, do you, was there any, a to- a time where you thought, oh, what did I get myself into? Um, you know Sometimes, what I mean? Or has it yeah. been rewarding? It's been rewarding. It's usually when I feel like, what did I get myself into? It's because everything else all decided to happen at the same time, too. And I'm like, oh, I got to get this book out. Plus, there's these nine other things that are also pressing down. Like, I just I just got elected uh, president of the faculty senate at uh, the college I work at. And that is something I'm really thinking. What was I thinking when I? <laughs> that yeah. doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> no, but anything I, with the, the word Senate. Things that I'll have to happen at once. The making the books is actually, even though I feel stressed out about it sometimes, it is the most rewarding of all those things because have a thing at the end of it, a thing that you wanted to do, you know, a book that hopefully other people will want to read too. I was always raised on the story of the Black Sparrow Press and how they got. <clears throat> what's that guy's name? Martin? Is it? Was that his name? George Martin, the guy who, who found Bukowski or who published Bukowski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I just saw a photo of him. Yeah, he, I, I mean, that story was so inspiring. And um, I was wondering if that uh, had been in your thoughts when you started your press as well. Uh, him and lots of other people, yeah, who yeah. did the same kind of thing. Uh, I also came out of uh, my first real artistic influences were all things like... Um, DIY avant-garde kind of stuff that was going on in the 80s, uh, mid-80s and mid to late 80s and early 90s. Like zine kind of culture? Zines and music and all this stuff where, uh, yeah, you know, do it yourself so you have artistic control because you don't necessarily find uh, what you'd have to do to give up artistic control worth, you know, worth giving up. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. What was the, what's been the biggest surprise that you uh, that you've encountered? Like, now, how many years have you been doing it now? Um, six. Six years. So, what what like what could you not have foreseen that has happened in these six years? With the press, yeah. Well, you know, uh, I, I I I teach at Northern Illinois University. They have this press. It's sort of ancillary press and uh for a while they were accepting fiction manuscripts they had put out a call for them but they didn't respond to any of them and these this pile of fiction manuscripts had just built up over about four years i think they had 80 or 90 of them and so they wow. just hired me and one other person to go in and basically reject them but we had to read them the, the idea was that they were going to publish maybe one or two of them i don't know that they ever did but uh, we went through them, and we just read all the cover letters. And, and somehow the cover letters were really heartbreaking. And that was just right. one thing I never anticipated, that, that sort of the, the way people try to sell themselves and the way that they uh, describe their own work. Even A lot of times the cover letters just had no relationship to the, the manuscript that they were putting. So for me, that was a big surprise. Yeah, now that you think about it, now that, now that you mention that, it has, uh, I, I guess I was, you know, I always thought there was kind of a form by which maybe this is because I got an MFA. Here's how you submit a yeah. query. Here's how you submit. And no, there's yeah, you're right. They're all over the place. I've, I've had people send me nude pictures. Really? Uh, yeah. With here's my manuscript. Here's a picture of me naked. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That'd be hard to uh, male, out. female. What difference does it make? Uh, this was a male. I'm not sure. He just and he didn't. <laughs> it's just Pisky's press. He didn't know he was sending it to. He just uh huh. Picture of himself reclining on the couch, like holding the manuscript. I mean, was (laughs) or holding something else? Maybe he meant to send it to somebody else, right? Flaccid or erect? Uh, He had an erection. (laughs) He did have an erection. Why bother if you don't have an erection? You know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it depends. You know, so I I guess I guess the the question is, what is the title of the book he published that he wrote? What was it? I don't even remember what it was. Actually. <laughs> I assume you didn't. It, was, it wasn't good. I okay. That. <laughs> that was Dan's little, that was little try, subtle joke, trying to be assuming funny. that you published it. I can look it back. Oh, my gosh. I missed it. <laughs> uh, I'll look it up and send it to you the title. 
Just the. Uh oh. Uh oh. I can't control these things. Mark, I don't know if you've listened to uh, enough episodes to uh, know what the uh, crumpling paper means, but uh, I'm sorry. We're going to have to interrupt uh, our conversation just for a second while uh, Dan and I talk about the revisions that we would make if we were actually able to go back in time and and change the podcast. Um, You're totally free to add any kind of life or writing revision um, that you feel like talking about, or you can just listen to us and i hope you do have one yeah okay yeah so who wants to start do you want to start well first of all i i should say that i'm in studio i'm in i'm in uh personal rejection letter one studio today for the first time and to watch you open your notebook and select the sheet of paper before you crumbled it was very impressive it was it's it's a far less haphazard process than i would have guessed <laughs> the last time we recorded an episode we were talking about difficult books and i told a friend of mine which difficult books that i had chosen to discuss and she said those are all really pretentious books and that it wait was, who said that uh somebody i was talking to okay about it. yeah uh, and she said it was molly and she uh-huh. said that all the books are really pretentious and like why was i why didn't i pick like a book that wasn't so like you know I, I, she she felt that like perhaps, John Grisham exactly, but those aren't difficult books. So I was trying to think of a difficult book that wasn't a pretentious book. I don't know. Is the, what about um, uh, Gravity's Rainbow? Is that pretentious? It yeah. is, isn't it? It's okay. about the most pretentious book in the history of books. I well, think. pretty close. Yeah. Up against with Ulysses and 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 Proust, which are the examples I gave. So what's an uncomplicated pretentious book that I read? Maybe the gas books, but I didn't get through them. How about um. Um, Wait, you mean complicated, complicated, un- and difficult unpreten- books, but, but un- were not pretentious? Yeah, is hmm. that even possible? I don't know. What about? Um, Seems like difficulty and pretentiousness are just linked. Infinite jest, maybe. Pretentious. It's pretentious. I couldn't get through it. I didn't read it. I read some of the footnotes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I got a hundred pages in because I checked it out of the library, and then there was a snowstorm, and I couldn't return it, and that was the only book I had. So. I made it to page 100 before I could get out of my house. So I just, I guess, I just want to say that I'm, I, I apologize for being pretentious. That's my revision. <laughs> pretentious bastard. Yep. Maybe if you're difficult and pretentious weren't necessarily the same thing, then you could define difficult in this case as like something you had to read. Okay. Like a relative just gave me this book that is from the point of view of a dog. And it's I, I'm I'm almost done, but it was really painful. You're actually reading it because a relative gave it to you. Well, yeah, he said he wanted me to read it so he could talk about it, and I think I'm the only person he knows who reads books. I'm uh-huh. like, okay, sure, I'll read it. Well, chances are this relative is a PRL listener, so um, I'm sorry we uh, you might you might have we might out you on this one. I hope uh, hope you have a good relationship. Uh, this I, I, person. I'm trying to think of how to tell him, boy, this is just terrible. Sorry, I don't like this. What is the name of the book? My wife just read a book that had at least part of it was from the perspective of it. It was about a deaf kid. The Curious Case of the Dog or whatever. Curious. No. Yeah, called The Art of Racing in the Rain. Oh. And no. It's just bad. Sounds, That's like, a, sounds like a bummer. Yeah, it's a wordy title for a dog. Yeah, the, dog is, the dog's kind of pretentious, so I guess uh-huh. we are back to that. Oh, he's a literary dog. The worst kind. <laughs> is it a is it a is it a pit mix? What what kind of dog? No, he's um, uh, part lab and part something else. But he talks a lot about his lab, his lab roots. Uh-huh. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ! <laughs> I would too if I were part lab. Right. <laughs> well, my revision isn't going to be as interesting, I don't think. But um, oh, good. It was the euphemism episode that we did when we were talking about. I've already forgot her name. Um, what is her? Sarah Manguso. Manguso. Yeah. Not euphemism, aphorism. Aphorism. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. Sure. Um, Mark, we did a, a recent episode where we really bagged on a couple of writers, and we haven't really used this podcast to to just sort of like savage writers or anything. I don't think that's our, our purpose or our interest, but in this one time, we just ended up doing it. And it was Sarah Manguso and David Shields. Okay, I know who the first one is. Yeah, it's just that it's practitioners of the lyric essay and on the cutting edge of creative nonfiction. Okay. And um, we just kind of decided that they were bullshit. You know, they were just like scam artists. They were like conning the the industry in a way into getting fairly well known. 
sure. but anyway, so we're going through and, and sort of bagging on their work. Um, but weirdly enough, when I wrote the text, I, it was one of my favorite episodes because it's fun to, you know, give bad reviews. Um, but when I wrote the text up to put on the on the website that goes on iTunes and all that kind of stuff, I really, you know, made a, a thing about David Shields and Sarah Manguso. And I thought, oh, these guys are going to, they're going to get us listeners, people who are interested in them are going to like Google it or whatever. And it turns out that this and another one that where we did something, we kind of made fun of Michael Shabon. Right. Um, but both of those are, are, have the lowest amounts of downloads of any of our episodes, like <laughs> significantly. And I think it's just that mo- people haven't heard of these people. <laughs> like I, right. we think it's a big deal, like a Michael Shabon and some of these other writers that they're, they're kind of big figures in our life, but the amount of actual fans and they have is probably pretty small compared to, you know, basically they're using those names is not a selling point. Somehow <laughs> that feels satisfying though. I can live with that. Yeah. Well, I think my revision is next time going forward, instead of focusing on the name of the writer, focus on the idea. Mm-hmm. Cause people seem more interested in listening to the episodes. If they think the subject is interesting to them rather than, the name of a writer. Anyway, that's my revision. Yeah, that, that sounds is, good. Yeah. Something to think about. All right, Mark, you're up. Um, it could be anything I, that happened in life. Well, I was thinking of actually one of your the podcasts I listened to where you were talking about um, the automation of work. and mm-hmm. the, the robots are coming. The robots are coming. Yeah. And Classic PRL. <laughs> right. I think you. somebody said they weren't worried because... Something to do with um, writing and um, AI and that kind of thing. And so I actually had been doing a bunch of research on this because of a presentation I had to give and a ridiculous amount of short news items um, and everything from sports to business are now written by uh, a couple of AIs. Mm. So a lot of this kind of short professional writing is actually starting to be taken up by, they can crank out, you know. 35 like, articles a minute. Yeah, like clickbaity kind of stuff that you see in your news feeds? Like that? Um, even things like um, on Bloomberg, for example. I mean, huh. just here's here's what's going on with this particular stock. Or, um, you know, Vladimir Guerrero's son is now in the minor leagues, that kind of thing. Uh, two or three paragraph long short blurby articles are being cranked wow. out. More than half of... Uh, that market is now being taken up by companies that. So they are taking our jobs, <laughs> like very much. They, they're taking. That was never going to be my job, but I could see. Yeah. It being they're taking the job. shittiest jobs, and um, that seems to be what they're doing in general. But uh, yeah, it's uh, oh. Vladimir Guerrero's son. I read that. I thought that was a great article. Yeah, it had three paragraphs. Yeah, it was like succinct. <laughs> got in, got out. Um, uh, maybe that maybe that's maybe we need uh, to become more connoisseurs of that kind of article. Sort of like, you know, now everybody's a connoisseur. Well, everybody's there. You know, the industry that's grown up around the f- food, for example, farm to table. Mm-hmm. Well, we need farm to table, cheap, quick articles. So people have to become connoisseurs of those so that they they can recognize yeah. what it's what's artisanal. Handy. Artisanal, yeah. This is an artisanal never, blurb. Artisanal blurbing. <laughs> Yeah. And that's that's the industry I'm going to try to get in. Um excellent. Well, thank you for the uh for the note about the classic PRL episode. Um I guess now I'm, I want to kind of think about the future a little bit in terms of publishing. Um I guess I'd first ask if if you would recommend if you think everybody should do this. I mean, not every single writer, but um I guess would you recommend it like the the course that you've taken to uh to others who felt like you who are feeling frustrated um but and and before I turn you loose on that I also kind of wonder if, is there a danger of just like well nobody will publish my novel so I'm just going to publish it myself and start my own press um not realizing or recogn- or admitting that it's just a really shitty novel you know what I mean, sure. and and then it becomes right. just a, a way to skirt the issue of of skill and doing the work of really learning how to write. 
But right. anyway, I'm, I'm just wondering if you're where you see, you know, what 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 you would say to those the writers out there who are kind of wondering where to go with their careers. Um, I would say it's it's a great path for somebody who understands that it's not so you can get your shitty, shitty novel published as much as it is about the relationship you will then have and the responsibility you'll have with the other people who you're helping to publish their work. Cause I mean, I don't even, I barely try to market my own stuff now cause I'm so busy trying to get other people's stuff, you know, send out review copies and get interviews for them and that kind of thing. Um, so I guess it's kind of like if you wanted to adopt children <laughs> and you wanted to adopt children because you thought it would make you feel better and it would feel a hole in your life, it's probably not a good idea. If you want to adopt children because you think there's children that need to be adopted and taken care of, then that's, you know, that's a good idea, which I guess makes it sound a lot grander than uh, since they're not children. But so if that's if you're doing it because you think there's good writing that you want to help get published, then, yeah, I would say do that. But it is a hell of a lot of work and you do have that responsibility to other people. So if you don't want to do that part, I would say, no, just try to do it. The, uh, how does a usual. small, how does a little press, just a startup with one person, two people become a big industry player? Like it, at, we talked about Black Sparrow. Um, right. And then there's something called $2 radio that I kept hearing about left and right. And they're, sure. they're becoming a film company now. And there, right. there's this level of startup presses that that just really get big um and it seems to happen very fast and do you have any sense of why that happens to some and doesn't happen to others is well it's in black sparrow's case wasn't it pretty much because of bukowski i mean he kind of they they found somebody who took off at the right time yeah um, i mean they were pretty small and then he made them right pretty big they had an infusion of money too i think he sold a bunch of books like like sort of right. a historical collections worth yeah, and I suspect it's probably the same with Tudor Radio. Um, I read a bunch of their stuff many years ago when they first started up. I didn't know they'd become a film company now, but it's got to be that you have some book that just becomes so big that you have all this increase in funding, and you decide what you're going to do with it. And what I'm going to do with all this money? Well, I can hire some other people, you know, to do some of the other stuff, and then I can do more of the reading. I guess. I guess that's how it happens. Um, I wouldn't ever get into this business hoping that's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> You know, but um, I think that's it. You just, it's kind of like, isn't isn't a lot of small publishing now? Maybe it's always been this way. Kind of a lot of authors think of it as they're hoping it's a minor leagues for them to get into the major leagues to get in to return to Vladimir Guerrero's son. Um, <laughs> Probably so, yeah. I mean, I, I go to book shows and I, I definitely see publishing companies, small publishing companies that are trying to do everything in a very polished and very corporate and very professional way because they're thinking maybe this is a ladder they can climb up and good if that's what they can do. But, mm -hmm. uh, I think it probably really hard if you intend to do that. I think it's probably just luck for most people. So you don't think of your, of your press as sort of like a, 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 a trying to get, you're not trying to become one of the bigs. You just want to do the things that a small press can do. Right. If, if something, I mean, if, if I found some, you know, savant and, uh, uh, I don't know, Saskatchewan who wrote this wonderful book and it sold bazillion copies and I had all this money. Um, I would probably try to do something like um, what record small record companies were doing when uh, the small record company thing kind of all the, all these uh, large record companies are going around trying to sign Nirvana and that kind of stuff. So they would make licensing deals where they kept all the creative control over what they did and they just basically used Warner Brothers or whoever it was as a distribution partner. Right. Um, hmm. But I absolutely don't think that's going to happen. So I'm, <laughs> I, I probably won't think about it after after we hang up, quite honestly. Yeah, I remember hearing about Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Wasn't that one of those stories of some tiny press? A guy had gotten rejected so many times and some tiny press just, just took it and, uh, you know, right. exploded their business. Right, right. Yeah, those... I hope that hope that doesn't happen. I have enough problems. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you see the future of publishing going? I mean, it seems to me that, I mean, is are the are the big legacy publishers just going to keep big, getting bigger and bigger and conglomerating, and it's going to be just one giant international publishing company that you know, and and then pr small presses are just going to keep 
you know, probably hoping to break even and, and just being kind of personal projects more than real players in, in the economics of it? Or do you see things, I don't, do you see a, a change happening in some kind of different model or you know, direction? Um, I don't know. That's hard to, I, I remember, I think it was Ursula Gwynn actually wrote an article in Harper's years ago. Um, and this was 15 years ago, maybe where, uh, and I think we all know that a couple of big publishers bought all the kind of medium-sized publishers up. So there was a huge conglomeration of publishers. Um, so there's the big players are really gotten to be fewer and fewer, and they're all basing everything on really on profit margin. Can you make six or seven percent on each book? That's what you have to do, or something probably something even larger than that. Um, so it would have to be if that model is going to change. It would have to be, I don't know, something um, either like a, um, what do you call it? W- during the depression when they had all the, they got jobs for the people who didn't have jobs. The work programs, WPA. Yeah. yeah. It'd have to be something like that. Something, huh. Or it would have to be some kind of anti-conglomerate and, and thus anti-neoliberal um, movement. where Artisanal books. I mean, that is a thing. Right, right, um, and that's a reason why people buy small press books is because they feel like they're, you know, doing something good for the world. Right, um, and it may be yep. that they also want the work to be not having gone through the particular hoops of the corporate, you know, marketing sort of yes. people. I guess maybe the question is, how do you increase that population? <laughs> yeah, how do you make people who want that and less people who, oh, I'm going to the beach, I better get a book. What's yeah. at the airport? You know? Yeah. Just from the writing, and I, I, I've been hearing people say that they've been licensing their books to publishers. Is that I, I'm unclear what that even means. Is that anything that makes any sense to you? Does, that... No, but it, I mean, it, it makes sense. I see how you could do that, but I hadn't, I hadn't heard of people doing that. Okay. This, I was wondering if it's sort of like a, a way to say Vanity Press without saying that. Oh, I, I was thinking more like a, they were franchise. Like, I'll sign with you for five years, and then I can be a free agent with my book after that. Well, yeah, maybe that is what it is. But why would why would an author want to do that? Uh, I don't know. Okay. That. <laughs> I don't know. That's, All a, right. that's a good question. People lease the tires on their cars. I still don't know why people do that. Well, hmm. a lot of publishing is like they. There's all these different um, versions of the vanity press that's becoming. Like, well, we'll you'll pay for part of it, but we'll chip in some too, and it more of a partnership style, sure, publishing model. I guess I, what was it? Alice James does something similar, right? Where they, you publish a book with them, you're part of the board that then looks at the next set of submissions. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, or at least they did do that before. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen that before where they. It's yeah. Is it really? Are you really being published on your merits if you then have to pay for it to be published, even though it doesn't seem like a vanity press? Um, yeah, I'm 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 a little skeptical of those. Yeah, those arrangements too. But it doesn't mean. Are you tempted to uh, charge some um, reading fees? That was one of our es- our, our our episodes. Yeah, um, seems like that's buttons. the way you could really start raking in some money. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I could. I could. Um, I actually. Last year we were like we didn't quite break even, but we were about I don't know a hundred dollars uh, in the negative. So we I, I give everybody a certain amount of books. I send review copies out. Um, don't charge a reading fee, uh, and then I recoup the ISBN and whatever the postage was on sending out the review copies. And then everything else I just let the authors keep because it's. Like I said, we're not selling a lot of books, so it doesn't really matter all that much. Um, and I take it off my taxes anyway. Um, but that's not why I'm doing it. So yeah. I guess I, will. I think that's what it comes down to. That's great. Yeah. It's inspiring yeah. almost. Almost. Not quite. <laughs> <laughs> if you said I was raking in the money, then I would yeah. be inspired. No, no, no. So we should, uh, we got to get together one of these days. You ever go to AWP anymore? Or? I don't good. think I've gone since I went with you, quite honestly. Yeah. When was that? I, you mean the one in New Orleans? Yeah. Oh, my God. That was my first one. Yeah, it was a very long time ago. That I, was uh, fun. 
I got very drunk, and then the next day I fell asleep on the pool next to the pool, and woke up and I was so sunburned. But I I, I had a button down shirt on, so I had a big good time. Yeah. <laughs> My cousin well, fell asleep. We uh, they 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 had a an indoor dinner at AWP for all the invitees for the the famous people got to go in the dinner, and the rest of us scrubs had a party on the balcony next to the dinner and there was no plug for the boom box so was it you and i a couple of us snuck into the uh, fancy people's party plugged in the boom box and ran it out the door <laughs> <laughs> ran the cord out the door so that we could have a really loud and drunken party and of course all the people in the fancy party were looking out the windows at us wishing they could be out here with it oh yeah sure, our party yeah. was way better yeah it was Virgil Suarez's party, I think. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh man, that's good stuff. Um, well, let's uh, ease on into our closing segment, um, which we uh, where we talk about what we're reading or what what any kind of thing we want to talk about in terms of what we've been writing lately or something about our day jobs, which in all of our cases involves teaching. You already said something about um, being the faculty senate leader that sounds right. pretty tough um is there anything you want to tell us about like say what you've been working on sure um i'm doing i'm finishing another science fiction novel about halfway through about uh an amputee fetish rodeo clown who saves the universe <laughs> oh, another one yeah i know i know <laughs> I'm trying to make it a little different now. <laughs> approach to the rodeo clown but yeah. that sounds great what's the title uh so far uh burnout because okay it's it turns out that we are human beings are kind of like a carburetor for these spaceships that the other aliens use to do drag races so <laughs> that seems beyond yeah. science fiction that just seems like uh like a lot of fun uh, yeah I've, I've i don't know if you read any of the um authors who've been trying to, you know, make a genre for themselves the new weird guys like uh, Jeff Vandermeer or China Maville or any of these uh, science fiction writers who try to be new weird, but they usually they're not particularly new and not really especially weird. So yeah, Jeff Vandermeer just came to uh, NIU campus and addressed, they let him address children. So it must not be that strange. Yeah. That's his new book is, it's just disappointing. It's just not, I guess, because I've been, you know, but raised on a diet of surrealism and, and, and bizarre stuff. That a book about a multi-story bear who rules the city isn't really all that interesting. Hmm. It, it's almost interesting. It's it's just one of those books. It's, it's almost there. <laughs> right. It's right up there, but it never goes to the point where you go, "Wow, that's great." You just come on, keep trying, Jeff. Keep, <laughs> God damn it! God, oh, you're so close. Oh, my God. <laughs> then, and then the book's over, and you're disappointed again. Cool, cool. Uh, what about you, Dan? Uh, I just got my copy of the the fifth uh, Knausgaard book. Just came in the mail and, uh, from Amazon. Haven't started reading it yet, but I'm sure it'll be just like the others. So I'm looking forward to tucking into it. I still like getting a box from a publisher or Amazon, and it's still fun. Open it up. Yeah. There's your book. Yeah, I've had... It turns out that um, I was pretty... Sh- sure that I did whatever I could to um, cancel Amazon Prime like five years ago. And then I just noticed that like I have it and I don't know if I've had it all five years wow. paying for it without using it. But uh, anyway, but now I can yeah. buy anything I want on Amazon for no uh, shipping. And so uh, I've been ordering like $2 cords and adapters <laughs> and stuff one at a time. Make them pay for just that to, old stuff, yeah. <laughs> just fuck them, you know? I Amortize mean, they, it. Yeah, somehow they, <laughs> they're charging me, or maybe they're not. That's even better. But uh, I have a feeling they're getting my money one way or the other. Yeah, they, they've got it worked out, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. They, they don't make it easy to cancel on purpose, I'm pretty sure that's... Yep. Yep. Well, I know you, everybody's uh, waiting to hear yeah. what my uh, my thing lately. What, am, what do I want to... Um, I'm, st- I'm really stuck on um the novel 2666 i've been talking about that for quite a while um and it's not that it's a difficult book in the way that in in that it's complex overly complex and it's not that it's too long um 
and I actually think it's brilliant. I really do think it's like great art, capital A art, and I'm very pretty far into it. It's that I've gotten to the point where it's all about these murders um, of women on the border, this border town of uh, Mexico. And this is the whole point of this giant novel is leading us into this, you know, it's kind of, you can, you could see it as political, but it's also just a crime story. Um, and the problem is it's just horrific. It's just like page after page after page of women being yeah. um, mutilated and tortured and, and killed and raped. And it's, and it all feels so incredibly real because you realize, because it is based on real and the cops are doing nothing about it. And it's this, it's not like they're calling it a serial killer, but it's not a serial killer. It's just a culture of hating women. And, you know, it's just really, it, it basically it's upsetting. And so I'm yeah. having a hard time reading it because I don't want to stay up half the night, like fretting about it. But I feel like it's an important book. And I've, so that's where I'm kind of stuck. Like, when am I going to read it? I think I need to read it in the morning so I don't have to like worry about stay like not sleeping. <laughs> sure, sure. Midday reading, new genre. You ever heard of Roberto Bolaño, Mark? He was hot a f- few years ago. I have that uh, that book is on my dresser. It's like fifth in my pile of stuff to read. So. Oh, so Go you're ahead. you're heading up. It's it's great, and um, it's five parts, and each part is kind of like a short novel. So it's kind of like five short novels about the same thing, and. And what what he does is he leads you very slowly into the murder thing and seduces you into caring about them in a way that, and you realize, oh, I would not have cared about it if I weren't seduced into caring about it because our natural defenses tell us, wait, I can't think about that. Right. It's too much. And he's sort of forcing you into it. And that's, I think, what what's great about it. I hope that's not a spoiler. I don't think it is. No, no. But um, yeah, great book. I had cool. a similar similar kind of experience with, um, I guess, different, but the same thing where I had to I had to parcel out what I was reading and um, choose times of day. Uh, a very brief marriage by Anak Aradukaprasam, I think his name is. A very long uh, Sri Lankan name. But it's about uh, a man and a woman who get married in a refugee camp in Sri Lanka that's being shelled, and it's just so so brutally sad, but yeah. also really beautiful at the same time. Like you said, it's capital A R. So, I, so I, I I managed to get through it, and it was it was certainly worthwhile, and it was painful. I thought, well, what can I do, you know, in the future to when I find a book like this where I need to read it and, and it's difficult. So I started, uh, I assigned it to one of my classes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll read it too. We'll all share the pain together. Double dipping. Yep. <laughs> I've done that. I've put things on the syllabus that I want to read, but I've sort of haven't gotten around to. And then you sort of, yep. you have to, there's your deadline. Yeah. That's a good idea. Like, I mean, sure. Well, this is my book club. Right. You'll, all, you'll hate me for it, but, <laughs> but I'll get that book read. That's right. Well, Mark, maybe uh, when I uh, plan the big book tour for the big book, whenever that happens, um, I'll make sure to stop by uh, Buffalo. And, Absolutely. Uh, that's, it feels like figuring out professional reasons to go visit people that you want to see is, and so you can get like your college to fund at least part of it. And right. seems to be part of the point of life at this point <laughs> in, in, in my age. Well, we should do a podcast tour. Yeah, we should. Get them to pay for it. Everybody does that now. We haven't. No, we have not. But I think it, I am pretty mistrustful of the idea of a couple of podcasters sitting up on a stage with microphones and. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. <laughs> it'd be good. <laughs> Throw up the Skype, have Mark on the computer there. Well, you know that um, Dear Sugar podcast, they keep talking about how, oh, we got some big changes coming. We can't, we can't quite tell you about it yet, but it's. Uh, yeah. Some big things in the works. Of course, they're doing a live tour. Like that's what every podcast does. And uh, do you know Dear Sugar, Mark? No. It's Steve Almond. He may know. Oh, I do know, of course. Yeah, yeah. And Cheryl Strayed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they do an advice column, and I like it, the podcast, a lot. But I wouldn't go buy a ticket to the Adler Theater to go see those two standing up there reading 
letters from pro- troubled people <laughs> and offering their advice, you know. It yeah, just it does not sound fun. No. As sexy right. as they are. Mm-hmm. But uh, still. I hey, guess... You know, sexy promo. What's that? Know. Sexy promo shots for both of them. Yeah. They are pretty sexy. With their dicks as... out. <laughs> That's right. I don't know what they look like. I don't think. They're okay. I'm sure they're hot. They're okay. Not great. <laughs> Not tight. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Gabe, cut this out. <laughs> oh. Well, Mark, this has been good talking to you, man. It's uh, been uh, a long, long time, and I'm glad that we're uh, we're still in contact. Yeah, maybe I will try to go to AWP one of these times. I, if I can figure out how to get some money to go and then not actually have to go to anything at the conference itself. <laughs> Does your college give you travel uh, money for that kind of stuff? Uh, yeah, they have travel money, a certain amount of travel money for stuff. I mean, it's community college, so not as much. Um, it's it's not as considered as significant, but you can, I, I, I can usually. I am the head of the faculty senate. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. the <laughs> head of the faculty senate can get a couple of shekels yeah. to travel. Oh, I'm pretty sure that you can move some funds around to yeah, yeah. to make sure. Well, it was nice meeting you. You too. And um, yeah, I guess we're sort of Dan's like, it's weird that usually Dan's on Skype and right. I don't have to look at him. And yeah. now I'm kind of glancing over. and I'm slumped, shouldered. And uh, it's the room sad. is hot. It's it's kind of sad. I've spilled water on the floor. I have to clean up as that soon as... That is a really upsetting thing. I have a new house, and Dan's in it, and yep. he's immediately just sort of uh, messing things up. I'll get that off as soon as... <laughs> you better. <laughs> um, cool, man. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. And thanks to all of you folks out there for listening. Bye-bye. And uh, here's the outro music. That's a word that I learned. I'm going to get some toilet paper. uh, It's okay, Dan. I was just kidding. It's just water. It's cool, man. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a small child. I'm sure things get spilled here. Sometimes they do. And uh, yeah, so the outro music is playing, which means uh, it's time for us to go. So see you guys. All right. Bye. Bye. Personal Rejection Letter is produced and edited by Kelly Daniels, with help from Dan Whitman. Special thanks to the Augustana College English Department for loaning us a student worker, and to Sub-Atlantic for providing the theme music. We always welcome comments, suggestions, and especially praise. Say hi to Dan and Kelly on their Facebook pages, or follow the podcast on Instagram or Twitter. If you like what you hear, do a podcast a solid and leave a review on iTunes. I'm Mary Carter, signing off. Talk to you next time.